0: And now, here's your host of Shaping Success, Wes Tankersley. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Shaping Success. I am your host, Wes Tankersley. Before we get started, I just wanted to make sure that we thank, Do you know we have a Patreon? Our Patreon supporter, Nikki Pavlovich, this is something that we just get started. Get a shout out every single time we do that. If you want to support on Patreon, go hit the link in the bio. We've got merchandise. Make sure that you like, share, review the show so that we can get it out there. We're growing on YouTube. We're at 1,400 subscribers now, and we want to just keep building and building. So I can't do it without your help. Today, our guest is Dennis Morolda. He is a coach and someone that, uh, you know, we'll have an episode coming out with Craig Daigle, and he actually introduced me to him. I'm excited to get to pick his brain about what's going on. Dennis, what's going on?
1: What's up, Wes? Hey, it's a cool intro you have to the podcast. I found myself listening to it like, ah, I, I like this. This is this is a good deal. Good way to start.
0: Well, we were talking before that, you you know, like you have all these people that you interact with and you kind of know here and there from different things. And my friend Jay has a podcast, but he's got that voice. That's his voice. Oh, it's yeah. just like one of those things that it's been the intro to the show for a very long time because it's just so booming. Like it, you can't forget that voice.
1: <laughs> right, absolutely. And you start to really appreciate when you're listening to someone speak, you're like, wow, this is, you would be a good podcast host, a good host. I mean, I'm a James Earl Jones kind of voice or a Morgan Freeman. Right. That's my what I would emulate to be like. And I find myself sometimes trying to deepen my voice during an episode to sound like those guys.
0: Exactly. Speaking of that, I should have said this before, but if my sound audio goes off a little bit, like it sounds scratchy or something, just let me know. Raise your hand. I'll pause it and we'll start again because... I've had some issues with this roadcaster that I have, but you know, technical issues with a podcaster is, it seems like the name of the game, right?
1: Absolutely. And as a, as a fellow podcast host, I've done interviews, uh, recorded interviews from 14 different locations, one being a closet, (laughs) a small closet when I couldn't. And so I, I totally understand all the things that it's like Murphy's law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong during podcasting. So Totally understand no worries whatsoever. I appreciate it. It's
0: funny, you know, you said that you had done one from a from a closet. That is, people don't understand that. That's like a good place to do a podcast. It, it is.
1: There's not a lot of echo. I yeah. mean... I've done a couple where, dude, you, you'll get a kick out of this. I was doing one uh, from my previous home. We had a sunroom. And this is right in the beginning of the Building Men podcast. Uh, it was like episode 10 or 11. And I'm recording from the sunroom. And I had headphones on, so I really didn't hear it. But there was a cricket right outside. Oh. And every 9 or 10 seconds, it would be like, and so you would hear the cricket and I didn't hear it at first. And when I went back and listened to the audio but I was like, God damn it. There's a cricket out there. Ah, screw it. I'm still going to publish the episode. So I had to, I had to go back to the next episode and say, Hey, listen, if you're the one of the nine people at the time who are listening, I apologize for the cricket in the background.
0: Yeah. It's an audio editing nightmare when that happens, right? Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Hey, you run into different people like we talked about and you end up in the same circles. And I, you know, talk to Craig, my friend, Nikki, who actually, she's the Patreon business supporter introduced me to Craig. It's her beach body coach. And, you know, um, we had a conversation and he immediately introduced me to you. So, you know, I started looking it up and seeing kind of what you're doing. And, and I think that it's a great thing. And I just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you do. Can you tell everyone yeah. kind of who you are, where you're from, kind of why you got into what you're doing?
1: sure thing wes i appreciate the opportunity to come on here and share the story and tell a little bit about building men it was um it it started by accident i would say i'm from central new jersey people might be able to hear it from the accent that, that comes out every now and again uh, central jersey grew up um, playing sports i've a there's a deep dive into my relationship with my own father uh you know we could certainly get into that but I had a lot of questions around what a man was, how a man should interact, how he should show up from uh, difficult situations from my own upbringing. So anyway, so I went to college in South Jersey, played baseball. Uh, My major was education and sociology. I had a dual major in sociology. And in the dual major, I needed to do an internship. So I picked an internship working with a guy who was a catcher. I was a pitcher on the baseball team. He was a catcher and he was doing this internship as well. I said, I'll jump on board with this. And it was almost a halfway home for at-risk boys. And so in South Jersey, tough area where I was going to school. So um, I get hired as this intern and my job was to be an assistant group and individual counselor to kids that were referred to this program because of sexual abuse physical abuse or neglect so they were there because of department of children and families or the court system so they had gotten in big trouble with the law and what this program did was it kept them off of the streets right after school between monday and friday so what i did was i was going and observing how the counselors that were working with these kids to help them uncover a lot of the things from their past and then i got hired as a van driver So I'd go to school all day and then I would go to this place, pick up a big white van that had like 12 seats in it. And I would drive around South Jersey to some tough areas and pick these kids up after school. So now I have 10 or 12 kids in the back of this van. I'm 21 years old, driving them back to this place to be there every day between three o'clock and 10 or 11 o'clock. And I was taking part in the counseling sessions and then I would drive them home at nighttime right so this it kept them off the street right and so what i recognized and then as a father now the power in the drive right so if you're a parent you learn a lot about what's going on with your kids during drives to and from places right hearing them talk and then interjecting your own thoughts about things and what i recognized was the drives home were therapy sessions with these kids and all of a sudden they started to open up to me about things that were going on in their life and started asking for advice about situations, how to handle things with their families, with school, with the opposite sex. And at the time, I had no certification in anything. I was just a kid who had gone through a lot of difficult things in my past. So I started giving them advice, and I saw the group starting to come together. And then they were confiding in me things that they were not talking to clinical social workers about or registered therapists about. And so I always felt like, all right, this is part of my calling. I need to do something in this capacity in the future. So fast forward, I graduate from college. I start teaching in central New Jersey. My first year on the job, my third day teaching in central New Jersey was September 11th,
0: 2001. Oh, man.
1: Just right out of college, brand new, and the World Trade Center. I could see from the school, and I had kids in my school who were significantly impacted by the, the towers coming down. So this was my indoctrination into the education world, and I recognized immediately the the power in building community with kids. And kids have five developmental needs, the need for autonomy, to feel like their voice is part of the space, competence, fun relationship, and safety. And safety is that big blanket that they really Mm -hmm. need. So recognizing all the other stuff that needs to be done with the curriculum and things like that, them feeling a part of a community and feeling safe trumped everything else so I had this in my backdrop as far as what what do kids really need in school so I'm developing my own ideas around education coming up with my own philosophy I also recognize that I love leadership roles in the school so immediately after starting teaching I went back and got my master's in educational leadership to become a principal Mm -hmm. and I only taught for about four and a half years and then I got a job as an assistant principal in the town where I currently live in central New Jersey So I'm a young assistant principal. This is now 2005. And as soon as I started as this this assistant principal, and my job is like the dean, the disciplinarian in the school, right? It's a junior high school, seventh and eighth grade. All the issues I was dealing with in school were with the boys. And 90% of the stuff that was going on was with 25 kids that were just out of control. So I had the boys who were coming to school later, not coming. They were getting into fights. They were getting tossed out of class for doing the stupid shit that we probably did when we were in seventh and eighth grade. and i started to recognize like something has to be done about this the boys are such an issue in school some something has to be done and so you know a new administrator i'm like someone has to do something and no one's doing anything so finally i'm like all right i need to do something why not me why don't i do something here so i went up starting this boys social group and i called it building men so what i did was i set up a, a structure for kids to meet before school for an hour to talk about the real shit that they were going through. And what happened was is that every single boy in the school joined this program. So I had, I, I was running 10 groups. So every morning I would get to school, you know, an hour early and I would have a group of 20, 25 boys, one week was seventh grade, one week was eighth grade. And several groups were meeting at one time. And we started to talk about what it meant to be a man. Like what were their ideas about masculinity and what it meant to be a man. And at first. I was it was things that i thought about when i was growing up i'm sure a lot of people listening if you know if you have a penis between your legs you probably thought the same thing about being a man and it was first the boys were telling me now mind you they're 14 years old well you need to be bigger faster stronger you have to be the best athlete you have to have a six pack you got to be able to bench 300 pounds you know you got to have a beard and tattoos like that was their idea okay it was like physical dominance and then they're like you got to bang the most girls You gotta, you know, how many girls are you having sex with or how hot are these girls that you're having sex with? So that was the next thing that they thought it was sexual conquest. And the final thing was you gotta make a ton of money. You gotta have the stuff, you gotta have the car, the sneakers, the house, the, it was more like materialistic things. And what we started to do, Wes, was break down all these ideas about what does it really mean to be a man? Those things, if you're basing your masculinity on those things, they can all be taken away from you. So let's base it on character, integrity, accountability, and more, more importantly, like what, what can you do to serve others? Like what can you do to be of service to other people? So this, this program was, this was my baby and it was the most important thing that I've done in education. And I went up running it for many, many years as a, as a middle school principal in Jersey, since left being a principal, left education. And now I'm doing this on a full-time basis.
0: It's amazing that, you know, like you, you talked about safety being the number one thing. So I actually, before I sold window coverings, which I tell you that before the show, I was a teacher. I've had a couple different careers and I taught for four years. You know, I went back to college after um, working, changing tires for 11 years and just was there and just didn't feel like I could make enough difference. You know, I mean, I got my master's degree and my bachelor's degree and it was just like, it's just, there's not enough there. But like knowing that kids felt that way, because I grew up in a mostly migrant Hispanic community when I was, when I was growing up, but didn't really know anything. I lived out in the country. We weren't really interacting with all those people. Right. And then I started teaching in a school where it was kind of the same thing. There was actually like a, I don't know if, the, I'm sure they have these in New Jersey because I know that they do have farming there, right? But like they had like a farm camp where the Hispanic people lived. And like one of the things that they did was they took us and they showed us where these people lived. So like we went and toured one of their, you know, basically a one bedroom studio apartment with a shower in the corner and a kitchen. And, and they'd have like four or five kids living in there or maybe two families and things like that. So these kids would come to school, they would get their meal, they would get someone talking and interacting with them, and they would like actually have a safe place to be. And so Christmas would roll around and you'd see them acting up because they knew that like, you know, they're going to be at home for a week or two weeks by themselves without the interaction that they crave. So they don't feel safe anymore. And that is super important and powerful
1: absolutely and it's interesting in new jersey it's a very interesting state um it's it's a smaller state geographically but there are a couple different areas like there are parts of new jersey that is just urban and then there's this suburban sprawl as well um where you have some really tough areas newark trenton which isn't far from where i live camden new jersey where I went to school in that geographic area, but then there's also, I mean, you have these beautiful beaches in New Jersey, but then there's also in South Jersey, a lot of farmland and Jersey is actually like the blueberry capital of the world. So there are a lot of migrant workers that live in the New Jersey area. So the state is very, very interesting in that way. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting, um, you know, sociological experiment driving through the state of New Jersey. You feel like you're in three or four different countries as you drive through the state.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing, like, I don't think that, you know, most people just go and live their life and they don't think about all those things and all the things that you're talking about, like developing as a, as a man, those are all things that, you know, we're on the school bus we're sitting there talking about, like we're, you know, we're on a baseball trip and we're talking shit and we're having these conversations and not really knowing anything, but just like, Oh, what do you know? Because you've been there maybe, or, and I haven't, and you know, it's good to just open up that conversation. I can't believe that there was, I, I can believe, but I just, it's like, wow, there was such a uh, desire for these kids to do that, that you took that upon yourself and gave them someone to have a conversation with that they never really had a chance to have that conversation, you know?
1: Right, and it's interesting, Wes, because a lot of these kids were coming from single-family homes, and a lot of them have had an absent father in their life or a father that was there but not truly present, more of a a weak man that that was raising them. And what I recognized, once the boys came in there, What I needed to do was first establish the ground rules for what we were doing, right? So we set it up in a circle, and it was their job. They would come into the classroom, and they would set it up. Like, that was their responsibility. Um, I set it up in a circle so there was no front and back of the classroom. Like, everyone had an equal part in what was going on. We started every single meeting and ended every single meeting with a handshake. You had to shake hands with every other young man in that room. You had to look them in the eye. You had to greet them and you have to give them a firm handshake, like you're meeting your girlfriend's father or you're going on a job interview. That was a big part of it. Then what was another rule was, what what is said here stays here. Unless it's something that you are a danger to self or to others, the conversation is part of this circle and they, that was gospel to them. So if they, if something was discussed in that meeting, it was not to be discussed at the lunch table. Like that was only for this meeting. And then the other thing was, we're not going to use other people's names in the school. So we weren't going to talk about Becky and, you know, Sasha, we weren't going to, because they weren't here to defend themselves. So we can talk about situations, but not about people. And then there were topics of conversation that we discussed. So the first, we would talk about responsibility like what does that mean and i was bringing in different there, this was before social media right right and this is going back in the beginning of 2005 but i would bring in video clips i would bring it and we would talk about books that we would read together there were several poems like if by rudyard kipling or the man in the glass or the bridge builder and so these are eighth grade kids it was almost like a dead poet society thing but these are kids that are like tough kids from a tough spot in central jersey they're reading poetry mind blowing. That wasn't what it was about. I mean, I pulled out the Jim Valvano 1993 SB clip, that's just a famous clip about how how you're supposed to live life. So I was bringing in different multimedia sources for them to interact with. And there, there was a topic of conversation. But what started to happen was, once I shared my own experiences and my vulnerabilities and things that I had gone through, it started to normalize them doing the same thing. So I had 14 year old boys after a while, they were really they were talking about what their family dynamics they were talking about the things in their world that they were the most afraid about when you're talking like 14 year old boys talking about being scared or being afraid or them saying like you know what i'm really sucks is i'm 14 years old and like i'm sitting next to you know sean muirhead who's got a beard and i don't have armpit hair yet and i'm afraid to take off my shirt to go in the water by girls because they're going to see that i haven't hit puberty and it's really embarrassing yeah for 14-year-old boys to have the comfort to, to talk about something like that, we're all thinking that shit. Yeah, It was a really powerful thing. And what I recognized after they were able to lean into those conversations and get real and like raw and vulnerable, what happened was the, the ancillary benefit was everything in the school got better. So the kids started to show up to school. They showed up to school on time. They were going to class. They didn't want to get in trouble. Like we had this whole code of conduct about the respect for themselves and for other people. So they weren't getting tossed out of class. They weren't getting into fights anymore because it was the boys that were fighting. So these were brothers in this building men group. So they didn't want that was not going to happen. That was like against what we were doing. Our suspension rate dropped 400% in one year from the kids being in this program. And it was replicable. We, we did it year after year after year. It was such a powerful thing. And it just, I just saw that there, there needs to be, this needs to be done on a larger scale. What, what can we do to like bring this to a larger group of individuals? I don't want it to be just kids in this area in New Jersey. What can we do to get this message out there?
0: Yeah. And it's crazy because I'm, I'm thinking about like, as you're talking about, I'm thinking about all the things that you have these conversations about. If you did that today, like in a classroom situation, what would that look like? Because I feel like this is something now that would be, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I believe that that would have been an awesome thing to have growing up. And, but I think that we're in a different time now. And I wonder what would happen. Like, you know, because it's building men, right? So now you're going to want, there's at this point with all the injection from society, it's like, well, There should be a building women class or there should be the women should be able to come into the building. You can't do that. Like it's it's not as inclusive. Do you think that you could have done this now in
1: school? It's it's such an uphill battle. It wouldn't look the same. And the the way it started, Wes, was there was actually a girls group in the school. Or we had a guidance counselor in the school who ran a girls group called Girls Speak Out. Uh And so it was a a one about, it was talking to the girls about body image and equality. And it was an unbelievable program. And I believe the boys joined building men because they wanted their own group to talk about the girls. Like, it's like, all right, you have your group. We're going to have our group. Right. Um, This is back in the time where we didn't, we didn't, If you would have said lgbtq plus ai whatever no one would know what that meant that wouldn't no one would have any idea so the way it would look today in schools it would be totally different and it's one of the reasons why i'm having challenges getting this message out into schools um because i i i believe that the way that it like it's come the pendulum has swung in our society is when we were growing up kids that Dyed their hair purple, and you know, were anti-establishment. That w- those were the kids that were like, "Whoa, these kids are against what's going on. This is against the norm." Right. We're now like, I believe that young men should be responsible and respectful, and you should stand up for what you believe in, and that's now considered antisocial. Right, like being with those values is considered against the norm or against the grain in society. So for me, what it would look like to be in a school as a principal, and like I mentioned, I had I've left being a principal back three years ago. Now, um, it would be really it would need to be intentional. So here's the thing: to, like my conversations are with young men that are going through struggles that are young that young men are going through. Now, if you want to, if you say like I identify as a young man and I'm going through the same thing, sure, come and, and listen. But if we're talking about when you're in fourth period in mrs jones's class and you get a you have a perpetual boner because the girl is wearing a shortcut you know whatever right if you don't have a penis it's really hard to understand what that feels like right and those are conversations that we would have listen i get it i know what that's like to be in a situation right so it would it would need to look a little bit different but i'm i wouldn't tamper tamp down my message at all i still talk the way that i talk and if that offends you that's your problem uh, that's totally your your shit if that what i'm saying offends you you need to deal with that i believe in what i believe in yeah. and i believe that message has a has a spot in the ears of young men right now
0: well it's super interesting because i think about i think back like okay so we're not i'm a little bit younger than you i think cuz if you graduated in 2001 i graduated high school in 99 so thinking about like my middle school experience and the type of time when i was going through that growing up in you know ontario oregon which you hear oregon and you think you know super liberal but where i was was like Not. I mean, like it's right on the border of Idaho and Oregon, two completely different states, a lot of differences in, you know, the political scene. And I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, make this political because I don't like talking politics. But when you have that type of situation, they brought in at one point, well, we're going to do sex ed with our kids in class and we're going to separate the men from the women or the boys from the girls because we think that it's highly important to be able to have those conversations that we can do. Well, at this point, parents are deciding, and this is, you know, 20 something years ago, they're, they're deciding that there's a problem with this. Like your kids, we shouldn't be, this is the parent's job. You have to sign a waiver to do this. I mean, did you have to sign a waiver? Did The kids have to like sign anything saying, you know, you can be in this class. We're going to be talking about these sensitive subjects. That's what it is. Or was it like, we just did it.
1: So a lot of it was, um, ready, fire, aim with the group. I would have an idea of what the discussion was going to be about. But if it went in a direction, as long as it wasn't disparaging conversation, I would let the conversation go where it was going to go. Because typically these are things that they wanted to talk about but didn't have the, the avenue or the platform to do so. Yeah. They, they did have to sign a permission slip. Uh, to be a part of it. I didn't say we're going to talk about wieners during our conversation, right. it wasn't, but if it got brought up, then we would talk about it. Yeah. So I just said, we're going to talk about topics that are really important to the young men. These are things that we will talk about without a doubt. We'll talk about accountability. We'll talk about perseverance. We'll talk about our daily habits that will help us become the best men that we can possibly become. But topics would typically go in other directions. There were things that that I did that I likely shouldn't have done as mm-hmm. far as with boys and nothing crazy, but ritualistic things. Like I would have the boys learn how to tie a tie, right? That was in seventh grade. That was just something that we did. You need to learn how to tie a tie. My father never taught me how to tie a tie. Um, he, I have, if he's going somewhere, I have to tie a tie for my father right now. You know what I mean? So that was important. I, I felt like boys should learn how to change a tire. Mm -hmm. They should learn how to jump a car. So I had kids that were 14 years old in the parking lot of our school, changing the tire of my truck. I would, that's not something that I was allowed to do. Like that. There's a lot of rules against me doing that or having jumper cables. Like I likely could have gotten fired for that, but I still did it. I, I, because I felt like these are, these are kids without dads. They they're going to need, what if they're stuck on the side of the road somewhere, you know, and they have to jump. They, I wanted them to have those experiences. We would do a trust walk and where the, the school was, it was kind of in a like a comp, like almost a, an urban suburban area. So it wasn't like a huge city, but it, there were city type streets there. And so one of our, our things, our rites of passage towards the end of Building Men, where one, one of them would be blindfolded and the other one would lead them on a mile walk. Mm-hmm. And it was about like the responsibility they had for another human being. And I didn't get permission to do that. Looking back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it, as an, you know, if the superintendent found out that those things were going on, I would have gotten written up or something like that, you know, but for me, I didn't ask permission. I did it because I felt like that was something really powerful yeah. and the boys took it so seriously. And if a year before you were to say that I had, you know, I had Josh Travers and I had Jabrie Stevenson out in the street with a blindfold on and one of them's leading another one through traffic, people would say, you're freaking crazy. It's never going to happen. Someone's going to get killed. You can't do it. But I was like, I'm teaching these young men how to be men and be responsible for another human being. We're going to do it. Yeah. So those were a couple examples of things that we did as part of building men, ritualistic things that they took so seriously. Now, if there was a kid that was being a total jackass and I didn't feel that they were ready for that responsibility, I would say, you're not participating in this. Yeah. Why not, Mr. Moralda? Because you haven't shown me that you can be responsible for yourself. I can't trust you to be responsible for another human being. You need to earn that right. Yeah. And by me saying that, they're like, what can I do to do that? What can I do to earn that respect from you to have the responsibility to do that?
0: Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. You know, it sounds to me like it's so powerful, the things that you did and are doing. And it's just interesting that the dynamic that we are going now, like this would be something that, what you know, it's like growing up in the, growing up in the nineties, I go get on my bike and I ride around town. I go play yep. at the park without my parents, you know, like at ten years old, we're left at home. We're watching ourselves, or babysitting, or doing the things that we need to do, and you can't do it now because that's abuse or that's something that you're not supposed to do. And it's just amazing. I'm. I'm yep. It's awesome that you were able to do that because you can make that difference. You, I feel like you know, and that was my fight with teaching was I couldn't do it because parents were so involved in the outcome of all the situations that. At one point, they're not even allowing, you know, like their kids don't have to participate. I was a PE teacher um, and I have a master's in education technology, which I just got just basically to get a raise um, because right. they pay nothing here. But you you couldn't, you know, you couldn't hold kids accountable, like as far as like dressing down, even, you know, even if they participated and they did like, you know, like I would sit there and I'd think like I would micro grade, you know, like okay, so we're doing I'm asking you to run a lap, do 10 sit ups, run a lap, do 10 sit-ups, and you run a lap and then you do five sit-ups. Do you deserve the points that everyone else who did what I asked deserved? No. And so you can't hold them accountable like that though, because well they did the best they could and they deserve a grade. And
1: it's just crazy. It's so it's it's interesting too because that was one of the most common conversations that I had with parents as a principal was when parents would push back about a grade that the kid got or there were there was a consequence for the kid and the parents would come in and argue on behalf of their kid. And I'm all for being an advocate for your child, absolutely. Like you want to be an advocate, but not when it's to the detriment of them learning the life lesson from their lack of like showing up in a situation. So if your kid fails, let them fail. Yeah. let them fall down if if your kid doesn't do the work they get the bad grade if your kid does something if they're if they're you know acting out in class and they get tossed and there's a consequence let them feel the pain of the consequence they need to learn that their actions have repercussions and that if they fail and they fall it's their responsibility to be able to pick themselves back up again. What a great life lesson to learn when you're in middle and high school. Right. Because if they're not lear- learning those lessons with the support of the adults being like, listen, that sucks, I, you, know, you failed. Well, study next time. Yeah. Don't be up till two in the morning watching TikTok videos. What are you gonna do next time? Let them fail understand what it means to be resilient and pick yourself back up again. So the first time they're experiencing it, isn't when they're out of college where right. they're on their own or, you know, God forbid they're in their early thirties. They've never had an experience in their life. That's been difficult. Now, what are they going to do? They don't have the reps built up to understand that they can overcome challenges in their life.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you're sitting there, what kind of example are you setting for your kid? your kid can't do something as simple, you know, and I mean, I'm going back to the PE teaching, but like your kid can't do something as simple as putting on a different t-shirt and a pair of shorts. I mean, and you expect them to be able to put their clothes on and go to work, you know, and it's like after they graduate,
1: this is what we're building. It's so funny. Even my own kids. So they're involved in sports and and things like that. I, I have a 17 year old, a 15 year old and a 12 year old, and I see parents all the time. So, I take my you know my daughter to to softball practice and she forgets her cleats dad can you go home and get my cleats no that was your job to remember your cleats so you have a choice wear your sneakers or wear no shoes or figure out another way borrow cleats from someone else but parents will go there mom you forgot my cleats okay becky i'll be right back i'm gonna go get your cleats and i you gotta be kidding me so i think the problem with parents is when when they're going through something like that, they're like, I don't want to see my kids struggle. Yeah. But you don't want your see your kids struggle. A lot of it is because you don't want to feel the pain of seeing your kids struggle, right. right? Knowing that that le- lesson that they're going to learn from struggling in that situation is so much more powerful than whatever the shitstorm you're going to go through the, by them being mad that you, don't, you won't go and get their clays from them. That's just a little example, but that's something that I see all of the time. And it's one recommendation I give to, to parents let your kids your kids struggle. Let them struggle and feel the pain of the struggle. My daughter doesn't forget her cleats anymore. I she guess. has a routine before she leaves the house. At first, after she forgot them and she had to play in her sneakers and she was sliding all over the field, the next time I was like, okay, before we go, have a mental checklist. Do you have everything you need? Got it, got it, got it. All right, let's go then the next time I don't do that anymore. Now she has to go through that checklist because she doesn't want to experience the pain of not having the cleats at her next softball practice.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I was laughing as you were saying that because my, my daughter's doing karate right now and she forgot her belt one day. And you know we live 10 minutes from it. And yeah. she's like, what am I going to do? Where's my belt? And I'm like, you forgot it. Go get it. I'm not going to go get it. <laughs> you go ask your teacher if you can participate because you don't have your belt and see what the repercussions are for you not having your belt. Right. And she's like, yep. you know, she's just freaking out. And I mean, she's nine, um, yeah. you know, but she's or freaking you out. Get it,
1: Dad. Oh, I can't believe you're so mean. You don't ah. understand. Like, she goes over there I and the coach it. goes,
0: well, you're going to have to do some push-ups.
1: Yep. She did yep. her push-ups and guess what? She forgot her belt. Absolutely. Well done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's hard though. Like, because you, you know, you think and you look around and you see what all these other people are doing. And, and I think that being a teacher is something that gives you a, a little more, um, like you understand how teachers think. So like I have the hardest time knowing that if, if a student was misbehaving and they were failing my class, that I called the parent and made sure that I communicated with them that this is what's going on. And your child is earning this grade. And that's a hard thing to do because your customer yeah. really is the kid and the parent, right? Cause it, it's kind of like a sales job. Yeah. And so you're trying to solve the problem for them. And parents are just like, well, okay, that's their choice, which is one thing. But then, the kid fails and then they come in and say, "Well, you know, like it's it's hard to take that." So like when I would talk to a teacher, like if my daughter is doing something wrong, I tell them, I say, "You know, you make sure you communicate with me because I want to be doing the same thing that you're doing to discipline her at my house so that she understands that she has to take the discipline at school the same way that she takes it from me." And you know, don't don't not tell me. And, and then you know, teachers don't want to tell you because
1: they're afraid of how you're
0: going to react. And I can understand that, but
1: Communication I, has I, to I be there. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, too. I think it's important for parents to have that open dialogue with the teacher earlier on in the school year um, from the teacher's perspective to keep you in the loop. But another lesson that, I, that I've taught my kids and another thing that I recommend is teaching them how to have those difficult conversations and to advocate for themselves, for their own experience in education. And this is this is way to the other side. But I I don't talk to my kids' teachers after like introducing myself in the beginning of the year. If there isn't a problem in the classroom with one of my kids, so for example, my my son's in sixth grade and he had a problem with the teacher in one of the grades that he got, and he came home and told me, and I said, well, what did they say? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, when you talk to the teacher, what did she say about the grade? And he's like, well, I'm not going to talk to her. And I said, okay. Well, can you talk to her? And, no. I'm not. You have a conversation with her. I'll help you. Like I'll practice that conversation that you're going to have. But what a great life skill to teach your kids at an early yeah. age is how to have those difficult conversations. When you talk about rites of passage, and I, I'm I'm not a big proponent in the way public schools are run right now. And one of the reasons I left is because of the standardization of American children. It's just it's it's it wasn't something that I could do anymore. So Kids are not taught how to have difficult conversations, so it's my job as as their dad to talk to them about those conversations. Okay, you don't like the grade? How are you going to present that to your teacher? Not just like, I want a better grade. If you really believe in it, let's talk about it. What's your argument here? How are you going to present that to your teacher? If the teacher says no, what are your next steps? You're going to come home and cry about it? Are you going to pout? Or are you going to talk to the next person in line if you really believe in what you're talking about? Yeah. so. Honest to God, I haven't had any, I haven't stepped in in any situation with my kids and they've all have had something. My three kids have all had something, but they have gone through the channels and there are times that I agree with them. And I tell them, if you get to a point where you can't move forward and you've done everything you could do, now I'll step in and I will help you through that difficult time. Other than that, what a great learning experience for them to learn how to interact and get their point of view across to an adult, but in a productive, respectful way. And they've earned so much respect from the educators in the school because the teachers know, if my daughter is going to them about something or my son, they've already gone through the process of having that conversation beforehand and they're coming with solutions rather than just bitching about a greater problem.
0: And that's the problem. There's no solution to the situation. It's always just complaining and- Yep. It's amazing. it takes a
1: lot on the parent. It takes a, like, for a parent to do that, for a parent to let your kids struggle, for a parent to let your kids have those conversations, you have to go through the immediate pain of that. It's gonna suck. But it's, it's one of those, we, I'm sure you talk about intentional discomfort on your podcast, like intentionally putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. A lot of that is, you know, for physical training and things like that. But it's also teaching your kids those those skills by you going through it. Is it easier for you to be like, okay, I'll go get the, the karate belt? Is it easier for you to say, yeah, I'll talk to Mrs. Crabapple about your grade? That's easier to do yeah. in the moment. But the the benefit of you not doing that in the moment is you're creating resilient kids And that was one of the things that we would do in building men. Let's talk about difficult conversations. How do you ask for a raise? How do you have that conversation? How do you, how do you manage relationship dynamics with another human being? How do you break up with a girl if you don't want to go out with her anymore? Like, how do you do that? How do you do that in a respectful way? Let's, let's practice the conversation rather than ghosting them or cheating on them, right? Let's talk about those things. Who, who talks to boys about how do you break up with a girl? Nobody they f- they they look at TikTok and try to figure out. So, let's talk about all these things. So, everything that I did was thinking about what do you need to learn to be a man? Let's talk about it intentionally and practice it. So, I would do this gradual release of responsibility. I do, let me show you a conversation we'll have it together and then you practice doing it. So, now you go through the reps of the first time that they experience having to have a conversation with their boss about their schedule. They've already gone through it yeah. with someone that they feel safe with.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, all the things that you're talking about, it's like shaking hands, looking someone in the eye. Like these are all things that kids go through. Like I have this conversation with my daughter every time I'm talking to her. You're yelling at me. I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to you, and you're not looking at me. So I don't know that you understand that you're getting what I'm telling you. You need to look me in the eye. Yep. You know, shaking someone's hand. Who does that anymore? I mean, obviously COVID kind of put a damper on a lot of that stuff, but like not knowing how to shake someone's hand look them in the eye, you know, like have this normal thing. It's a super simple thing, but you don't do it because you've never been around it. You've never had the chance to do it. You know, I think it's funny. I just,
1: I, I did a post recently about that, about the importance for parents of teaching your kids to stand up and shake an adult's hand when they meet them and just to normalize that. And I said, and if you're super paranoid, it's a good time to have a conversation with your kids about the importance of washing their hands and to not stick their hands in their mouth. Yep. So use that for an opportunity to have those conversations with your kids. But normalize for your kids. An adult walks in the room. Show them this is how you interact with an with an adult. Don't sit down on your phone and be like, "Yo, what's up?" Right. Put the thing down. Stand up and shake the adult's hand. Like, let's do that right now. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. So, you know,
0: you mentioned that you haven't taught for like three years. So I'm assuming that you know these classes stopped when you stopped being a principal. Or maybe sooner than that. What what did you transition into, and what are you doing now?
1: So, uh, a couple things I'm doing right now. One with Building Men. I do I do the Building Men podcast. I do one episode a week for the last two and a half years. Started July of 2020. Um interviewed some really cool people from all over the world. it's it's I, I love having those conversations and talking to people about their stories. Um, what I do is I still work in the education world in some respect. What I'll do is I work with school districts and I'm teaching teachers how to teach. So I teach teachers developmentally. It's mostly middle and high school, but developmentally, what are the needs of the kids that are in your classroom? How do you build community with these kids? How do you proactively manage, behaviors with kids. And then how do you talk to them? How do you, how do you go about communicating with kids in a positive, productive way that will also help them understand their potential? So I still will work with school districts in that capacity. Um, on a more entrepreneurial side, what I'm doing is I'm coaching young men in high school and a little bit into college. So anywhere between that, like 14 and 18, 19 year old age range, I do individual coaching with kids and then I do group coaching and it's virtual so i do um it's called the foundation and it's um it's a it's a virtual group coaching with middle there's a group of middle school boys and a group of high school boys and it meets twice a month and it's rolling enrollment and basically what we do is we have a topic of conversation for the month and we have a deep dive into that topic and that's one of the the meetings and then the second meeting is i bring on a mentor someone that i've interacted with at some point over the last two and a half years that's an expert in that specific area that i do a quick 15 minute interview with with the boys present and then they can do a q a so there's it could be about um physical fitness it could be about overcoming obstacles it could be about technology it could be about financial literacy things that boys need to know and the cool thing is now wes is that this virtual group it's not just landlocked to my geography yeah it's not the same as doing it in person and eventually i will do in person events and retreats with young men, but this gives opportunities where I could have kids from four different time zones, all interacting with one another, creating community as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. How do you find, how do you find these people? I mean, is it just like social media, you just push it out or is that like your biggest draw?
1: Yeah, it is. Social media will be um, a way that I get the message out there. Most of it is from people hearing me in situations like this, that will expand the audience for building men a little bit. Doing a dive into what i'm doing and a lot of it is is word of mouth recommendations um of the coaching clients that i have after the coach like after the you know the coaching program is over the recommendations that i get from that like listen dennis worked with my kid for the last six months and his life is totally different right now you need to work with them and anytime that i coach a kid they're also involved in the group coaching so that's just a benefit of it so if you hire me as a coach. I let you come into that group coaching and just, you get the benefit of not only the individual coaching, but then the group dynamic that's that's happening as well. Yeah.
0: Well, it's powerful stuff. And I, and I, I, it's funny, like listening to you talk, because I think that I think of like a lot of movies that you watch. And this is like, this is like a real life movie, right? Because you're, you're doing something that you see on, on a movie. I mean, like you said, dead poet society. I mean, I'm thinking of like, Coach Carter's a little bit more aggressive, but like it's right. it's it's requiring people to have some accountability for what they're doing and understand that they have choices and that there is someone out there who can help them to make the choices that they need to be to be, in this case, a part of society, a man in society, like understand yep. how those things work out in those situations.
1: I love that. And it's funny. I, I would say that I'm, and I never thought about this until right now, I'm probably a combination of a, of a robin williams uh, mr keating from dead poet society there's a little bit of that because i am pulling in a lot of the intellectual piece into it from my experience as an educator i was i was a a, an athlete i coached uh baseball i coached basketball you know after graduating from college so i am pulling in it it could be even like coach boone from uh remember the titans i'm bringing in a little bit of that into it because there is the level of of accountability of discipline of showing up Um, And then I'll I'll bring in, you know, the one of my buddies called me the um, the White Cliff Huxtable, but not (laughs) not the the bad part of of what he was doing. No, I can't bring in like, you know, that funny, you know, like normalizing the goofy conversations Um, and and being able to throw in some dad jokes every once in a while, because a lot of these kids don't have that father figure at home. Yeah. So being able to provide that for them as well, it's like it's like I have all of those things going on and how I interact with kids. And I I I like to learn about what they're doing. Kids children need to be known. Kids need to be known. Like they, they don't care what you know unless they care that you know them. Right. Right. So that's what I do is I spend time like really getting to know the kids and figuring out what makes them tick. And it's funny, somebody called me and I was like, don't, please don't repeat that. I can't believe I'm going to say it right now. But he said he was introducing me to someone else, and he's like, you know, Dennis is great at what he does. You know, he's like the teenage boy whisperer. And I was like, what did you just, he's like, he's like the teenage boy whisper. I'm like, don't say that. I was like, I feel like I should be arrested <laughs> by, by yeah. you saying that. He's like, well, what I mean is that you can get into the heads of these kids and, and help them understand things that they're going through and normalize a lot of what they're doing. So
0: yeah, you just got to put yourself in their shoes though. Like, I mean, if, oh. even though you're saying like, I mean, I get the, I get the connotation of that, but it's like right. you are, you were there. I was there we were all there at one point and how did you feel at that time and what do you wish you would have known and how can you help other people do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you on and I I really appreciate the conversation. Um, Is there, is there anything, you know, you're doing some powerful stuff. Is there anything, where where do you want people to find you? What's the best way to look you up?
1: Yeah. Thanks Wes. I appreciate that. I'm most active on Instagram. It's building.men. I post once a day. It's usually a quick video clip or, some inspirational quote um some of them are funny some of them are more poignant or um or deep but i do something there once a day my um my website is buildingmen.io and on there there's something called the foundation that's that group coaching and um and information about the podcast and individual coaching and then the podcast building men one episode a week we're 175 episodes in something along those lines so i post once a week and you know please feel free to reach out to me, send me a direct message. There's ways on my website to, to reach out via email as well. So thank you for the opportunity to come here and, and to shoot this shit with you and to share the message, man. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, awesome message. And, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Keep keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for hanging out. That was an awesome interview with Dennis. He's a great dude. Go check out his website we'll make sure we put those in the show notes remember to like share and review this share this episode with someone who you might think needs to hear it because i'll tell you what there's some powerful stuff in there and um, we need to make sure that we are giving these kids the opportunity to grow up in a great world and be what they need to be until next time i challenge you to find the shape of your success